This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. In this edition of the Youngest and Brave, we talk with Catherine Ivey, the founder and president of the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation. Catherine Ivey is a tireless advocate for glioblastoma patients everywhere. The foundation that carries her name was established in 2005. It is the largest non-governmental organization supporter of brain tumor research in the world. To date, the Ivey Foundation has funded clinical trials and basic science in North America, Europe and Asia. Since 2005, the Ivy Foundation has committed more than $92 million to brain tumor research. The expectation is that this investment will in time lead to an eventual cure. The Ivy Foundation is dedicated to this effort because funding leads to answers, and answers lead to hope. The Ivy Foundation-supported research is always patient-focused and highly translational. The organizational philosophy is to embrace risk, advocate collaboration, and fiercely support the brain tumor patient community. This forward-leaning strategy reflects the ideals of both Mrs. Ivy and her late husband, Ben, who died from glioblastoma in 2005. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. The Youngest in Brief is produced by Sun Valley Communication and developed in collaboration with our online journal, Oncozine, at www.oncozine.com where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. Let's listen to our interview with Catherine Ivey. Here with me is Catherine Ivey. She is the chairperson of the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation in Scottsdale, Arizona. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Before we're going to talk a little bit about the organization that you founded, Tell me a little bit about yourself and what makes you get up in the morning. (laughs) What gets me up in the morning? Well, this job helps get me up in the morning. I feel very privileged to do what I do. You know, I would have would do anything to have my husband back. But um, due to those circumstances, I'm in a position to attempt to try to help people with a very complex problem and that feeling a sense of accomplishment and serving others um, really fuels me. Now, you mentioned your husband, Ben Ivey. Yes. Um, who was Ben? And, and tell me a little bit about him in terms of, well, who he was. He originally was from Seattle and had graduated from Stanford Business School and noticed a blue sky and never left. <laughs> he, we were both financial planners. That's how we met. And he also had a real estate company. His... Nickname was Gentle Ben. He was had a very good demeanor. He was an excellent public speaker. He actually started one of the first uh, financial planning speaking series, and that's how he had built his career. And he also really enjoyed investment real estate. He was a big golfer and wonderful husband, so I was extremely fortunate. Sounds like you had a fantastic life, but that abruptly ended. Yes. I understand that uh, he was diagnosed with glioblastoma. Yes, um, he could have been the poster boy for Whole Foods. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke. He exercised every day, very committed to his health. And we were on vacation and he actually ate a chocolate bar. And his th- then his, almost immediately his thumb went numb 
And we were joking. was like, see what happens when I eat sugar? And actually, that was his form of a seizure. And it happened again about 10 days later. And at that time, he said, you know, my tongue, I feel like I can't control it. And so he called the doctor and they said, oh, it's probably a pinched nerve coming for scan. And because he mentioned his tongue, they scanned his head and they saw the tumor. And three days later, he had brain surgery and the surgeon walked out and said, it looks like glioblastoma and life changed very quickly. Yeah. And then relatively short time after that, unfortunately, husband died. Yes. um, He did very well through brain surgery. He was home in two days, Mm -hmm. but six weeks after that surgery, he was paralyzed. He could not walk, talk, eat or write. And he died four months after surgery. So it's very fast. Right. Those are things are shockingly fast in, in that respect. Um, you're, not, not, you're not prepared for that. No, we worked in finance and, you know, we certainly read the news and read the headlines. And I wrongly assumed that all cancers are making great progress mm-hmm. from the headlines. When they said glioblastoma, I have a sister who's a nurse. She had to write it down on a piece of paper so I could, you know, all these words with all these syllables. But both Ben and I had no clue that there were still cancers that there's just nothing they could do. And we were really blindsided. And, and this is in 2005? Five, yes. 2005. Now, since that time, a lot has happened. We are right now with, uh, in your office here in um, of the... Uh, Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation. Tell me a little bit about the origination of that, because relatively soon after uh, your husband died, you set this organization up. Yes. When we were married in 2000, we had decided that if anything ever happened to Ben, we wanted his real estate company to go for charitable purposes. And then when he was diagnosed with brain cancer and we saw the lack of progress, the lack of options... It became very clear what we wanted this foundation to focus on. And fortunately, before he died, we had many long talks of what he envisioned for this foundation. And then I've executed those ideas. So even though the organization came into existence after he died, I mean, he had a a role to play in this. Absolutely. It started, he passed away on Thanksgiving Day 2005. The foundation commenced. In January 2006. So we got the ball rolling. So there was a relatively short time that after um, your husband was diagnosed, um, I mean, he died, you set up this organization. What are some of the things that you set out to accomplish in that respect? Well, the overarching goal has always been to contribute to a cure for glioblastoma brain cancer. But you have, in my opinion, you have to have achievable goals. And so the Focus really has been getting patients to live longer so we can study the disease and figure out more to help these people and moving that towards finding a cure. And you've been working on this now for the last uh, 14 14 years. years. What have you seen that you did not know about glioblastoma or that you did not know about progress being made? Um, Some of the successes of the organization, some of the exciting things um, in, in, in combating, the fighting this disease? Well, I appreciate you saying successes and exciting. You know, this September, we will have invested $100 million in trying to cure this disease. 
and not much has happened. And I feel we've contributed a lot to basic science and biology books, but it has been a very frustrating 14 years because nothing's really changed. We have funded research that has provided insight, but nothing has touched the patient yet. And I was a financial planner, and to invest $100 million and have a zero rate return is just not acceptable. Uh, zero rate, I, I, I know what you're saying. It's like a, that, that sounds terrible. I think that what I mean by exciting and, 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 and the good news about this is, is probably the enormous amount of, of research funded that leads to the basic understanding of, of the disease, which would otherwise pro- probably not have happened. True. True, but I'm I'm impatient and, you know, I'm not going to live forever. I don't have unlimited resources. And I got so frustrated two years ago, I actually really started doubting myself of, I just feel like I'm not doing enough. And coincidentally, at that time, I went to Jordan and I worked in a Syrian refugee camp. And it was really tough to watch what those people were going through. And it really re-energized me of, okay, I do have, I can't control everything, but I do have some influence. And I came back and I really doubled down. And then even though we started doing phase zero clinical trials in 2013 on a small basis, every all the stars aligned and we partnered with Nader Sinai at the Barrow to scale this phase zero program. And it's been by far the most exciting thing I've experienced in my 14 years. So something did happen. Something did finally happen. And I'm so grateful. So, I mean, and, and if, you, if you see the fact that we had an opportunity to, um, earlier this year, interview Dr. Nader Sinai uh, at two different occasions, tour the hospital and, and the clinic and, and see what's going on, to, to see and, and from up close up to see some of the, the things that are happening uh, in this terrible disease, because that's what it is. It's um, it's a good thing that you were there to be able to help that make possible. Um, I think that is the exciting part of the things. Yet that I think if you look at people in terms of of of, of cure, you, you said it earlier, it's not there yet. But I think your contribution is is a good start to to make that happen. Thank you. I I feel that the train has moved a little slow. That it's picking up speed, and I'm and I am very encouraged and very excited. Right. Let's take a break, and then we're back with our interview with Catherine Ivy, the founder and president of the Ben and Catherine Ivy Foundation. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. You took the first step and quit smoking. But even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section when dad injured his back. 
when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful, pain-reducing prescription medicines. But most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. And this is your motivation to to make that happen, right? To yes. to see people. Um, it's it's very close by. You've seen people suffering from from glioblastoma, other cancers potentially. You said about Syria. I mean, in a refugee center. I mean, is it right to say that the motivation to to see people to want to change the suffering for people that that gets you going? Oh, absolutely. And I get to know some of the patients and their families and the courage and the commitment that some of these patients make of trying to help themselves is really inspiring. And that keeps me going as well because I have no problems compared to what they're going through and what they put up with. I I think in in this part of the world, uh, a lot of people, most all of us are very blessed uh, that we... um, um, get up every day and 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 to um, to witness sometimes and to see sometimes that it might be different. Uh, that is very hard to observe. One of the things that you write as as on your website, um, that's the Ben and Ivy Foundation website, is that in addition to your motivation, you you look at the opportunity to do things that are patient focused. Tell me a little bit about that. I just really want the research to impact the patient. Medicine is a business, and I have full respect for all businesses, but the patient goes before the profit. And I, I want to influence research to impact the patient because too many people are suffering today and nothing has changed, and I just want to go for it and see if I can shake that up. That means that, that in the way you look at clinical trials, Uh, The way you look at the way you set up your organization, uh, the way you work with the the Ivy Brain Tumor Center at Barrow Neurological Institute, that's the focal point, patient first. Yes. Translational research is a word that's used a lot as well versus basic research. Both are important, but, you know, just there's been no impact or change for these patients in 30 years. And so for our foundation... I want to focus on the research that touches the patient. If you now take it the next step, right? You said translational research, basic research. If you look at um, working in partnership, it's another point that you address on your website as the About Us section of, of, of your, your organization. How important is working in partnership with others? 
Well, I think synergy can be extremely powerful, but you have to have the right partners. And if you have the right partners and the right leadership, it can, you can really build momentum. That's easier said than done. I've done three major collaborations um, within the last 14 years. And sometimes you, you need one head cook in the kitchen and the group to respect and follow that. So from where you are, and, and we're not going to talk about the medical aspect or the science aspect, but if you, you said you had three major collaborations, how do you decide upon on that part? Uh, later in the program, we probably talk a little bit about if somebody might come to you with a research suggestion. But if you look at, at looking at potential partners to collaborate with, uh, how do you decide that? Well, the neuro-oncology industry is not super large in the United States. Brain cancer is the 10th largest cancer. So I know most of the players, the collaborations, typically someone provides a proposal as the lead to a collaboration. And then through discussion and legal arrangements have to happen, the partners are chosen. And so they tend to, you, you want to create for research as much validation as possible that's what the beauty of the Barrow. They do so much volume. But sometimes when these collaborations, they seek out larger centers because there's more brain tumor tissue and more patients and you can fill those trials up quickly. Right. So this is not, you're not the only person that makes the decision, although you are definitely uh, the main focal point in, in making those decisions. It's you, you work with uh, key opinion leaders and experts in the field. And my board, yes. And, and your board. And when I share a proposal with key opinion leaders, um, because the industry is small, the names are never revealed. I think sometimes they know, but um, we try to keep it as unbiased as possible. Right. So that goes to the merit of the actual proposal rather than to the name on the door. Yes. Right. And I've been doing this 14 years and I know who walks or talk. And who actually has some success, right? Yes. Now, one of the things that you also mentioned is that you do things as part of a larger community. And, and we just were talking a little bit about the community of people within the neurological um, uh, organizations in, in, in taking care of those diseases. Uh, but this goes beyond that part. As part of, of the community, you um, established or working with the Ivy Brain Tumor Center at Barrett's Neurological Institute. We're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. Okay. But you also work with other organizations, for example, here in the Phoenix area is TGen, and maybe other ones. Um, how is that collaboration? Well, I think TGen does great work, and they're very good at what they do. And I try to, and I'm also on the Mayo Leadership Board, I'm also mm -hmm. with St. Vincent de Paul, to keep my head in different disciplines and different perspectives adds value to my own foundation and to my partners. So I try to, you know, I go to conferences and, you know, it's networking and establishing relationships. I learn a lot from others' uh, successes and failures. So taking those lessons and applying them to my own foundation and to our own projects. Right. Now let's talk a little bit about um, the foundation, the Ben and Catherine Ivy Foundation. You've been doing this, as you said, we, we talked about 14 years. 
and you invested almost a hundred million dollars in in basic research, translational research, yes. in trying to move the needle. But if you overall, if you look at brain, I mean, brain tumor, you said you were a little bit frustrated. But what have you learned about some of the progress that is possible with what you're trying to do? Well, one thing I didn't realize is how incredibly complicated brain cancer is, especially compared to even other cancers. There's a lot more hurdles. I think they've made uh, great progress in the biotech area for medicine. But one thing I really appreciate, I think when you ask it, if you ask different questions, you get different answers. And obviously not enough has happened for brain patients with brain cancer. And I think that because there's so much, um, it's such a complicated cancer, I think, and each patient is so unique. I think instead of like for, let's say, breast cancer, a large group of people respond to one drug. I think it's going to take drug combinations. Mm -hmm. This is a really aggressive cancer. It's going to take an aggressive therapy. And I think it's going, there's going to be a lot of subcategories of different types of brain cancer. But I think the drug combinations and the personalized medicine will help this disease. Let's take a break. And then we're back with Catherine Ivey, the founder and president of the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. Clinical trials allow researchers to introduce new hope by providing participants access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving treatments. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more. Together, we can stand up for all of us. Some knowledge belongs to us and us alone. The way our girlfriends walk, the way they talk, the way they touch their hair. We hold details that only a sister can know about her girls. But what about our other girls? The ones that we carry with us every day. Can we describe them when everything's right? Can we feel when something's wrong? Our bond with our sister girls gives life. But knowing your breasts can save it. Go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health. That's knowyourgirls.org, brought to you by Susan G. Coleman and the Ad Council. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. If you're just joining us, this week we talk with Catherine Ivey, the founder and president of the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation. Now, if you if you look at her, we had, uh, like I said earlier in the year, we, we had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Nader Sanai. I mean, absolutely a, a gentleman in yeah. terms of, of um, his knowledge, but also explaining what he is doing. If you look at some of the trials that he's doing, um, they're very early. They're very well, the zero-two trial strategy, which is uh, a new form of, of clinical trials, which is approved by the FDA right now in terms of, of looking at drugs in a different way. One of the things that, that, that 
struck me was the fact that they're not necessarily immediately looking at the the way uh, a drug may respond, but the fact if somebody may have if if there is if there's a positive response to something in that drug that may lead to further research. I think that's very important. I think you may agree with that. But what struck me is that um, he and his team are looking at different drugs that are not necessarily um, approved in, 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 in brain tumor uh, or in any of those things, but looking at drugs that are potentially developed in different cancers, uh, like uh, breast cancer. The drug that was approved uh, earlier in the year for breast cancer is now being um, investigated in, in brain tumor. One of the complexities with that is, is of course, the biology. But one of the things he also mentioned in, in one of our interviews is that the collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry is, is often difficult because you talk about a relatively small number of people that might have this particular cancer. How might you be able to, as your organization, may be able to change uh, the way uh, the pharma industry in general or is actually bringing about drugs in, in development? That is a very frustrating problem and a big challenge and something I'm still trying to figure out. As of today, I think the more awareness that we promote out there that these different drugs do have an impact helps. And this is about the patient. And actually, there was a trial um, we did start the drug company backed out very last minute. And so we went out and we purchased the drug. We're not going to let those patients down. But I'm still trying to figure out, I, I wish the government would create some type of incentive for the pharmaceutical companies to share drugs and not be penalized for experimenting in these very deadly diseases because it, it's not helping us with those challenges. And I understand they're in a business and they don't need drug failure publicity. But um, again, it's putting the patient before profit. And I, I'm hoping that with awareness that there can be some adjustments to that. Now, you mentioned that about the government uh, doing things. Uh, if, you, if you look, there is something called the orphan drug stipulation right. Um, that should make it possible for drug companies to actually benefit from uh, from from ways to to uh, make drugs available in um, smaller populations. You th but you don't think it's as enough. The, the government should try to do more. Right. I don't think that's. I think that's a great idea, but I think a, it's not as easy as it sounds, and that it should be more um, ease of access for more patients. Right now. Let's switch back to the, the, your organization and the uh, Ivory Brain Tumor Center at Barrett Neurological Institute. You met at one particular time, you met Dr. Sinai. What was the, what happened? Oh, I met, I met Nader 10 years ago plus. And, you know, he clearly is very gifted um, intellectually he puts the patient first. He's had two, he's lost two relatives from brain cancer. You know, what struck me unique about Nodder is I've been funding him for 10 years to do research. Every time I've asked for a grant, they always ask, you know, about how much and for how long. And I'll say, okay, three years, 350000 And they always fill up the budget. Everyone I've ever worked with. 
Nodder was the only one who'd come back with to me and say, you know, this is what I want to do, but it's only going to cost two hundred and ninety nine thousand. You don't have to give me the three hundred fifty thousand. And um, or if he didn't spend his money, he'd be like, you want it back. That integrity really impressed me. And then our conversations on his different perspective of having to approach this disease, you know, looking at the process and really going outside the box in his thinking is what made such an impact to me. I, I think that's, that speaks volumes, I think. But at one particular moment, there was a discussion about uh, the Ivy Brain Tumor Center before it became a real, before it was realized. Right. What happened there? I mean, I mean, how did you make the decision to to help fund that? Because we started on a small scale in 2013, and it was going well. And why not scale success? We had so many conversations of analyzing this that. There's not much to, it's a great investment. There's so much to gain and really not much to lose. And given other areas of opportunity to invest, this was by far what I felt could, um, I guess, leapfrog the progress and get that train moving faster. Then you were sitting in front of the board with Baroner Neurological, and then facilities need to be made available. Yes, and my own board was very involved, and I have consultants. Um, no, it's taken a village for this center, but it's been a lot of fun. Right. Of, of course, one of the unique things is where we were talking earlier about the, the, the Phase zero two trials. Uh, it's one of the initiatives of the, the Institute, but more is being done in terms of pushing, of pulling actually, more pulling than pushing, the drug development and patient care there to a degree that the uh, organization or the, the clinic right now is not just there for the Phoenix metro area or even for Arizona. Tell me a little bit about the expansion, about the growth of that. Well, I think all of us have the priority that we're going to do whatever it takes that we can control to contribute to finding a cure. I think everyone is very focused on that mission and the way that is achieved is through as many patients as possible. Barrow, already, they have a high volume, but the more patients that can go through these trials, the quicker we're going to get information that's going to lead to a cure. So we are very focused on global marketing, even considering global partners to leverage the number of patients so we can get this problem solved. That is something that is in the near future? Yes. Well, in the next 10 years. In the next 10 years. If you, if you look at, at not only at the organization, but also at the disease itself, um, glioblastoma, where in the next, you, you, one of your frustrations you mentioned is the fact that um, there is little progress, but do you expect more progress in the, in the, in the near future? Absolutely. I think people will live longer. So what you've seen in different forms of cancer and, and, Glioblastoma is one of them, is very hard to treat, is the fact that we, with some forms of cancer, we now look at a chronic disease mm -hmm. rather than a, a disease people die from. Now, I know that you're not a doctor, not a medical doctor, um, but is that something that you 
would strive after with 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 the medical teams, with Dr. Nadas and I, with other people you work with, to to really try to push that. Oh, absolutely! I think that's a stepping stone to the cure. You to making it a chronic disease. I think that's that's more of an achievable goal in the near future. But I think that's just part of a stage towards a cure of making it people living longer and more chronic. I mean, there's certainly a ways to go, but I think that that, again, the research is moving faster than it ever has before and something's got to hit eventually. And and progress is being made, even though it might be very slow if you, you say, let's take a short break. After the break, we're back with our interview with Catherine Ivey, the founder and president of the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. You listen when your body says... I'm tired, or I'm hungry. Are you listening? Would you listen if your body said, I have pain and pressure in my abdomen. I feel bloated for no good reason. Or, I get too full too fast. I'm spotting, but I've already gone through menopause. Or, I have to go to the bathroom more often and more urgently than usual. These can be signs of a gynecologic cancer like cervical, ovarian, uterine, vaginal, and vulvar cancers. Symptoms aren't the same for everyone. If your body says something may be wrong, please listen, learn the symptoms, and get the inside knowledge about gynecologic cancers. Call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Inside Knowledge Campaign and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. If you're just joining us, this week we talk with Catherine Ivey, the founder and president of the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation. Now, one of the things that we've not talked about, um, at least not much, um, we were talking about the fact that if people come with to, to you with a suggestion to collaboration, but one form of collaboration is also... Uh, a decision whether you're going to fund a particular clinical trial. And you mentioned about Dr. Sinai or other people uh, about the opportunities to do that. There is a fair amount of, of scientific knowledge, medical knowledge that goes into making decisions. But what makes you or your organization or the team you work with make that decision or to move that forward? The, the process or the... Uh, Both. Yeah. Well... Well, first we we asked for a proposal. We've done invitation only the last eight years. And and if I those invitations are based on on what? Basically, we go out, we network, and we go out and we ask specific people for proposals. Um, I alluded before; it's not a super large industry, mm-hmm. um, so I know most of the players, but. We are actually shifting this year and we're doing a public request for proposals and we're doing an additional investment in the real 
younger scientists. But our consultants and my board, first we look at the science, and then we look at the scientist. You've got to bet on a horse. Mm -hmm. And given experience, and I've worked with so many different people, I know who walks or talk. I know who will get it done. You know, right now, a third of our grants are no-cost extensions, being they're substantially delayed. And that's something that I really don't like. Some things do happen out of our control, but we've got to keep this moving and keep it a priority. And that I think is important to make sure that you can push the needle and we move, make sure that the needle goes forward and, and, and that you actually can have some results. Now, um, we are almost at the end of the program. And um, one of the things, at the beginning of the, the interview, I asked you what makes you get up in the morning. But with that, how do you stay motivated? How do you, um, because one of the things that you clearly mentioned is some of the frustration that you see, or you may want to kind of get things faster, which we all probably want, because this is not only this, this disease, but most cancers are horrific in terms of, of, of you, if you happen to be a patient. But what makes you stay motivated? Well, a couple of things. Um, well, to, to recharge, I go travel. And I tend to travel in more um, exotic, unique countries that are maybe aren't as well-traveled as others, j just to keep that big perspective. And looking at the forest versus the trees. And then occasionally I, I go to patient events. I go to... Um, to the patient symposium that's put on twice a year at the um, Barrow. Mm -hmm. And just, it's a good reminder seeing those patients' um, dedication is very inspiring. I occasionally go to brain tumor support meetings and just listen. And that keeps me going as well. But I get a lot of emails and letters and, you know, all those things add up. And I just, I'm going to go for it. I am very, I do feel privileged to be in this position and I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And I just really am hoping we can get a rate on our return. So do I. I mean, it's like that. There must be, a, we keep them going and there must be some success. Well, I'd like to thank you for um, our little uh, interview to, to this morning. Um, and Beyond that, thank you for the great work that you and your organizations uh, are doing. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. In our interview, Catherine Ivey tells the story of her husband, Ben Ivey, who was diagnosed with glioblastoma in August 2005. In addition to this devastating diagnosis, Ben's suffering made the difficult situation overwhelmingly painful. Ben Ivey passed away four months after being diagnosed in November 2005. Ben and Catherine Ivey felt it was important to give back to the community, and they've always actively supported education and healthcare. Ben and Catherine Ivey felt it was important to give back to the community, and they've always actively supported education and healthcare. Following Ben's death, the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation refocused its mission to find a cure for brain cancer. Catherine Ivey explained that her husband's suffering and the awareness of the lack of options to fight brain cancer motivated her to find better diagnostics and to develop new therapies to help patients. 
And that's what she did. The mission of the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation is to fund brain cancer research in order to develop diagnostics and treatments that lead to long-term survival and a high quality of life for patients with the disease. For more information about the Ben and Catherine Ivey Foundation, visit the website of the organization at ivyfoundation.org. For us here at the Youngers in Brave, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors and advertisers, for your ongoing support. Your support makes it possible that you can hear this program via Independent Talk 1100 KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. And you can listen to the Youngers in Brief via PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio, and download our program via podcast and streaming media, including iTunes and Spotify. If you or your company wants to support the Youngers in Brief, check our online journal Oncozine at www.oncozine.com. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866, and we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all, and thank you for listening, and join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Oncozine Brief. The Oncozine Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofflin, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by InPress Media Group. Support for the Oncozine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949 923 1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.